strength and conditioning is thought of as, you know, what's at other schools, and I think it's been at Miami, right? The, the records are set and they're up on the wall, and like people, oh, he was the fastest, he was the biggest, he was the strongest, he was the, and it's like, no, I gotta, get, I gotta make the best football players. You're- right, and so uh, exactly. Uh, here's the tr- I don't care what your forty time is. I don't care what your top speed is. I care who gets to the ball first. Now, I would argue that forty times. Well, not forty times, but your your time from point A to point B is more important than how fast your top speed is. Um, that's a big debate. I got in a big debate on Twitter a couple of months ago. Um, it was a bigger, stronger, faster deal, and every oh, the whole strength and conditioning world's brains melted. They all got mad at me. Um, can I, I throw some, can I throw something out real quick from the, yeah. I am an, I am an internet. No, I wouldn't even say I'm an internet strength coach. I'm just on the internet. So I'm not a strength <laughs> coach. Um, well, here's my, the NFL, not to be anti NFL combine, but like the, when I think of the 40 time and they train, train, train to run the fastest 40 so they can impact. I'm like, no one ever runs like that in a football game. Well, uh, one, one position does, and it's the long snapper. Okay. <laughs> um, so That's true. I would, right? I would say as a long snapper, the 40-yard dash is most relevant to me. Uh, nobody else. I mean, how often does a, a football player run more than more than a few yards without being hit, bumped, have to change direction, yeah, but who, whatever? But, who, so, but the starting – I've seen guys train for the 40. So who starts in that position, right? Like a receiver doesn't start in that position, down, foot on the ground, knee down. You know, so that's just – I think that there are other well, measurables so, that – the reason they use the 40 is because it's, it's, um, it's consistent across. Um, it's easy to, it's easy to test and you can look at, you can look at guys 40 times and you can see trends. Typically guys who run faster 40 times are the better football player than the guy who runs a slower. Not always there's exceptions to every rule, but it, I mean, it, it has value, but the question isn't, does it have value? Is it, is it's, is there something, some way to get better value for a similar, uh, a similar test? And so like for us, you know, I, I'm talking with some of the sports scientists out there. Um, one that we have in Miami, um, uh, Dr. Brian, man, dude, he, he wrote the book on, on velocity based training. Awesome dude. But we've been talking about uh, other ways to measure and I won't go into his like IP, you know, other ways to measure, um, you know, uh, performance and so like there's other stuff out there i mean look the the, the baseball um the, the pro baseball uh what do they call it? mlb the mlb combine they've gone to running 30 yard sprints they don't even do a 40 anymore uh or they used to do like a 60 and they, right there but everybody like things are changing the nfl is just it's like it's like trying to turn the titanic with a with a with a, a toothpick your your goal is to create the best per- football performers not necessarily the strongest athletes Right. I, so I like that, right. I, yeah, I use, so I use a guy as an example and I'm not going to use his name, but there's a guy who broke a 70 yard run on one of the teams I had in previous years on a team that had two of the fastest DBs in the country. Right. And these DBs take up, I'm, I'm air quoting everybody, take a bad angle, but these dudes don't take bad angles. All right. So they take a bad angle. He gets 10 yards of separation. Uh, he, he gets talked down. They try to tackle him. And he breaks that arm tackle and he scores a 70 yard touchdown. His top speed on that run was 20.4 miles per hour, 20.4. All right. For those of you who are GPS nerds, that's not fast. Okay. So how does a guy that's, that doesn't run fast air quotes again, uh, create 10 yards of separation and make two guys take bad angles that don't take bad angles. And the answer is 
his acceleration from 50% of his top speed, which is when you're kind of moving, uh, and then from 50% to 100%, it's just like, it's, it's just like unbelievable. Like his ability to accelerate from, from already moving, it was just like insane. And so like you, you watch it and like, they take a bad angle because nobody can anticipate that this guy, if they took the angle that they would to take to hit this guy and he didn't accelerate like that, they would have ran into each other five yards in front of him. You know what I'm saying? Like it was just insane the way he accelerated. And so what that, what we learned from that is you can score a 70 yard touchdown and outrun people without actually running fast. What does that mean? It means acceleration, getting and maintaining your top speed. Okay. So a 40 time is, Average speed from point A to point B. So, like, two guys can run a 40. One guy can hit 21.5 miles per hour, and the other guy can hit 20.9 miles per hour. And the guy that runs 20.9 miles per hour could technically actually run a faster 40 time, or they could run the exact same time. So how does one guy reach a faster, I mean, a higher top speed and run the same or slower 40 time? Can you answer that? I think I can because, again – I, I like to pride myself in preparation. So no, that's I, good. I know part of the answer, which is the guy that's going at the technically slower speed is doing it for a more consistent period of time where the other guy's kind of hitting the top speed. It took her longer to get to, he might've gotten that top speed. But how long was he there? How long did he take to get there? And then how long did he trail off? Exactly. And that's, see, and that's awesome. Like that, that's the point. It's like, so the question isn't who can run the fastest miles per hour. It's who gets to the ball first. And so now, now you're looking at, well, okay, how far do you have to run to get to the ball first? It's very rarely 40 yards. Right. Now, it, it can be. Most of, the game, be. most of the game, though, not. On right. average, more it, of the plays are not in a 40-yard box. They're in a 6- to 10-yard box. Right. And so we did some research with the catapult. I say research like I'm out here doing, like, double-blind studies. We did some, like, data review if you will. Um, I can't say people say it wasn't reason. a study. It was just a review. It was a right. perusing, of, it was a perusing, perusing of notes, a perusing of an Excel document. Um, no. So we, we went and looked at some data and then granted it was from a, um, a condensed version of a season. And so it wasn't like, like these numbers might not hold true for everyone everywhere. So internet police chill out. Okay. Um, but we found that your offensive and defensive linemen are only reaching at or near their top speed. So I think the metric we used was 97% of their max recorded speed we had um, because you, you have to adjust for fatigue. Like a guy might not be able to run hundred percent of their top speed more than a couple of times in a game before they start slowing down. So 97%, but at or near their top speed for less than 10 yards in a game. All right. That's a three and a half to four hour game, depending on whether you're on ESPN or CBS, CBS loves their commercials. Ima imagine a D lineman runs a 40 yard dash. Okay. And they run it in five seconds flat, which would be really slow, but easy math, okay? Let's say it takes them two seconds to run the first 10 yards, um, which would be, again, really slow, uh, but not out of the realm of possibility. That means the last 30 yards, they're averaging 10 yards per second. Are you with me on the math so far? I am. So that means 10 yards in an entire game at or near their top speed, which means they're at or near their top speed for one second out of an entire three and a half to four hour game. Like, do you see how ridiculous it is to give a crap? Ooh, don't say crap. Do you see you how ridiculous it. it is? Oh, I can say crap on the radio. Yeah, okay. Crap is do fine. You how, do you see how ridiculous it is to give a crap how fast somebody can run? Look at the skill guys from that same 
that same double blind review of the air data quotes. We, did. we got okay. air quotes. We have air quotes. Yeah. Okay. I'm like, yeah. Okay. So we did this. We did this. Bunny, rabbit. Those bunny so, rabbits or air quotes. What are those are air quotes? <laughs> spear fingers. So we look at the data and it shows us that the skill guys, and we only looked at corners and, um, and wide receivers when we did this because um, inside receivers can throw you, throw your numbers off. But so corners and, and outside wide receivers, right. Um, they were hitting at or near their top speed for less than 50 yards in an entire game. Okay. So doing the same math. Now, obviously they're going to run faster than linemen using the same math as the line 10 yards per second at, you know, at, on average for the, for, for when they're near their top speed. Right. So you're telling me for less than five seconds out of an entire three and a half to four hour game, these dudes are reaching at or near their top speed. So it's like, why are we worried about how fast they can run? Like, why are we doing bungees and running over speed and doing all this crazy stuff to make them run faster speeds? Posting these GPS reports, I had a guy who ran 23 miles per hour. No one cares. Did he make a play? Who's the fastest guy on your team? Does he play? Who's the strongest guy on your team? Does he play? If the answer is yes, good for you. But if the answer is no, then why does that matter? So how much of all that is is now uh, the cornerstone of, you said, how, how fast does he get to the ball? So how does that, how does that live inside of your program, right, to make that happen as opposed to these other things we're talking about, running fast, benching, strongest, right? Like you're you're, – you're, because yeah, I've, you, I've heard you talk about football movements. Like you're, tra- you're replicating – trying to replicate as many football movements as you can in your program to get the goal of being the better football player. So unwrap that for me. Okay, so you – all right, we're talking about getting to the ball first. How do you get to the ball first? And, are you, are you, are you asking to, me again? Are you asking yeah, me again? Th- this is a – this is about to be comprehensive, so bear with me. How do you get to the ball first? Well, I think first and foremost, you have to under, you have to understand the defense, the play call, and what is co- and the, the the play call for the offense. Mentally, okay, you have to understand what's going on first. Perfect. So let's also say getting to the ball first can be an offensive player running a route. So I want both sides of the ball to be able to understand what we're talking about. But yes, you have to know what you're doing. How do you do that? Study preparation. Okay. And where do you do that? Where? Yeah. With your coaches on the field on your own. Right. And in meetings and whatever. Okay. All right. Where, where did we talk about bench press and back squat just then? We have not yet. Okay. Not yet. Okay. So cool. 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 All right. So you got to know what to do. All right. If I know what to do now, how do I get to the ball first? Then your body has to activate. Okay. Your body has to activate. Let's Meeting, see. How do we you, make you, that? You're, you have to now, okay, you, you understand what to do. Now your body has to go do it. Before you physically go do it, there's, there's the part of knowing what to do and reacting to what you see. Because, yes, you know what to do, okay? If I'm in this play call and this offense is running this play, okay, I know what to do. But you don't know what play they're running until the ball snaps. I mean, you might have a good idea, but there might be four permutations of whatever play they're running. So you have to react, Right. There's knowing what to do and there's reacting to what happens. There's anticipation and there's reaction. So there's a whole other side of the mental, like there's the knowledge side of the mental game and there's the being present in the, high, the mental performance, like being a high uh, intellectual performer. Critical thinking uh, is a huge part of football. But the problem is you have to build great habits. The more great habits you have, the less information you have to analyze, process, and react to in a game. So if you have, let's say that let's say that their offense runs six 
uh, six basic formations and each formation has six variations. That's 36 formations. If I've memorized all 36 of those, okay, and 92% of their plays come out of these 36 deals, right? And I've memorized all that, like I have it down, okay? And something outside of the ordinary of those 36 things happens, that puts me on high alert, right? Now I'm like hyper-focused on, okay, what's happening? Whereas not every play you might not be, that's a lot of mental horsepower trying to figure out what's going on. Whereas the other 36 variations, right? You, you have a solid idea of what's coming and you're relying on your habits and your training from practice or whatever, okay? Same, uh, normal, normal formation I'm using. It's one of the variations I'm comfortable with, but a wide receiver, instead of having his right foot forward, has his left foot forward. I'm like, wait a minute, I've watched this dude run this, this formation 17 times on film. Never has he had his left foot forward. Okay, I need to really pay attention to what this guy's doing. And all of a sudden, instead of running the wheel route or the deep post that you were expected to, he breaks it down at 12 yards and tries to do a comeback to the sideline. But I'm so locked in on he's doing something weird that as soon as he starts to drop his weight to change direction, I'm already coming down. And I go knock the ball down or pick six or whatever. Like that's the mental side of the game that nobody is 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 really thinking about very often, right? It's not just knowing what to do. It's not physically doing it. It's all of the mental jumping jacks uh, and 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 all of the chess that you're playing. But like, it's like you can't focus on everything. And you're, you're studying, you're learning, your habits, your reaction, all that stuff is helping you narrow your focus so you can perform at a high level at the one thing that matters at that moment. So you just talked all about, we didn't, again, not mention strength or speed in any of that. That didn't come up at all. Wait, we were talking about strength and speed? No, we weren't. I'm saying it did not come up. But again, strength and conditioning is very important. It, for building culture, for building toughness, and not because of the workouts. It's not about any one workout. It's about the consistent high performance that you demand and expect from these guys. Um, my, my number one role is injury prevention. Uh, and there's a lot of things that happen that street co- I Look, I can't stop bones from breaking. It is what it is. Like, it's a violent sport. We don't want that to happen. And there's a lot of things you can do to help guys have great posture, late in the game so they don't get put in positions. They're moving their feet so they don't get rolled up on. But, like, there's going to be injuries that happen. And we don't want that to happen, but it's part of the game. But there are some things that we can do a lot about and that we're going to do a lot about, all right, to protect our shoulders, to protect our groin, our hamstrings, our hip, um, low backs, like all those things. Like, you should never have guys get hurt in the weight room. It does happen, unfortunately. But, like, that's one of those areas where, like, yeah, I, I got to make sure that no one's getting hurt in the weight room. Um, but Because they're better football players right now today then they will be in six months if their back squat goes up 100 pounds and bench press goes up six pounds, but they tear a pec or they, they blow their back out or they tear up their knee and can't play football. So, like, at the end of the day, what does the back squat matter? What does the bench press matter or, like, the max? Like, what does that number matter? I want guys to play great football, period. And whatever we got to do to make that happen from a strength training standpoint, that's what we're going to do. So back to the answer you gave, uh, the, com- the, uh, the comprehensive answer on the, the diagnosing the play, reaction, whatever – your role, your role inside of that, because I know you're big on the mental. So is your role in that the focus part of it? I know obviously well, yeah, so you're we, making better athletes, but like the example of the plays you gave, your role inside of helping them become better at that is what? Look, we, te- we teach mindset program. We have a mindset program that I've developed with a, a, a guy named Trevor Moad over the years. He, he recently passed. He wrote a book with Andy Staples. Look it up. I need to read it. it. No, I need awesome. to read it. It's on my list to read. There, there's two of it. It takes what it takes. 
uh, and getting to neutral. I haven't read getting to neutral. Uh, I just got it in the mail the other day. I'm going to start that this week. But okay, um, we teach three elite behaviors that need to become habits. So your beliefs drive your behaviors, your behavior form your habits, your habits drive your outcomes, your outcomes further influence your beliefs. That's our habit loop. Okay. So if you believe something's going to help you get better, you're going to put a lot of effort into it. Okay. It's going to drive the behaviors of the things that you do. If you do those things consistently, you're going to build good habits. Those habits are going to have, are, are going to generate great outcomes. Those outcomes are going to further influence the belief that those things help you. And you're going to do them even harder. Okay. Um, so we want to teach three elite behaviors that want to become three elite habits. One is neutral thinking, two is neutral self-talk, and three is conscious visualization. Conscious visualization is the most important part, but you can't do it without the other two. You need to have a neutral state of mind, right? Um, conscious visualization. Uh, you ever heard, like, uh, they talk about being in the zone or getting in the flow of a, a, an athlete talking about that? It's, it's, it's a psychological term called flow state, and I'm going to butcher the medical diagnosis of this or whatever, but it's called... Uh, the flow state is basically when your subconscious mind and your conscious mind are in the same place, focus on the same thing, not wandering, not thinking about anything. Okay. Um, like I've, I got, I've gotten several phone calls while we've been on this call and my mind has wandered a little bit at times thinking about who's calling me and what they're calling me about. I'm not in flow state, but if I throw my phone over here, okay. Now I'm like, I'm going to put that away. I'm not going to think about it again. So we're done here. I'm going to get back in the zone talking about the stuff that we're talking about right now. My subconscious and my conscious mind are fully present. Okay, if I'm in that neutral state of mind, I'm not being pulled in different directions by my subconscious, I can now consciously visualize. And I'm not going to do a conscious visualization because that'll take us forever. But basically, it's a mental rep at practice. Take a mental rep. It's not thinking about your playbook and looking at the, the dotted line arrow, whatever. It's like physically putting yourself in there, building a construct in your mind of actually running through the play, the way your feet feel, the way you're the way you're breathing, the way your legs feel, your heart rate, just the crowd noise, the, the, the heat, the humidity, whatever it is, fully consciously visualizing everything that goes into making that play happen because you can't do anything you can't see yourself doing and you can't do anything well that you don't picture yourself doing well. All right, the, key, and the, the piece that we've left out now is, is neutral self-talk. And neutral self-talk is how you maintain that neutral mindset no matter what you're dealing with, right? So um, the outside world, uh, the outside noise, uh, can really impact you, but your your internal monologue, your voice to yourself, your communication to yourself, seven times more powerful than anything that happens outside of you. The only way outside noise can affect you negatively is if you allow it to change what you're saying to you. If people are telling you you suck, you got to laugh at it and say, "Okay, you you don't know me, whatever, whatever, whatever." But if people start telling you you suck, you're like, "Man, maybe I suck." Yeah, well, now you're gonna suck. So you can't allow the outside noise to affect what's going on inside your own head. And so we want to teach these guys how to be neutral and how to get back to neutral, right? And so neutral self-talk, we ought to teach go to max. Okay, so we're running conditioning, right? We're doing conditioning. We have 20 reps. When you get to rep 10, you're like, damn, I got 10 reps left. No, 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 go to the facts. I got 10 reps left. It's just a statement of fact. You've already done 10, so why can't you do another 10? Right, you already performed at a high level halfway. Why can't you perform at a high level the second half? And so instead of like lamenting what you have left to do, you just stated, I've got 10 left. I've already done a 10. I can do 10 more. It is what it is. I'm prepared for this. So you watch this video of Aaron Donald before a game, and he's like, You were you were made for this, you were prepared for this. Uh controlled aggression, controlled aggression. Uh make the big play. Not I'm going to make the big play. That's positive. Make the big play, make the big play. And he's just neutraling himself into a place where he can consciously visualize success and go take it. We're fighting a battle for the, for the minds of our players every single day, because at the end of the day, every team's got great players.
But if you have great players that have a killer instinct and the mental mindset to where they don't ever allow anything, like I told you, Coach Cristobal's definition of resiliency, players that are 100% all the time and are never affected by anything. That's, that's what we're trying to build. And it starts up here and has nothing to do with bench press, back squat, and power clean numbers. Now, bench press, back squat, and power clean could tell you a lot about yourself. It could teach you about who you are. Are you a guy that's willing to push through when things get hard? Are you going to keep pushing that bar until it gets up? Or is that burning or whatever, that sensation, that, that effort just going to be too great? I'm not talking about weight that's too heavy for you. I'm talking about instead of doing a, a three-second rep, it's going to take you 15 seconds. Are you willing to have great technique? great form, push with max effort until that bar comes all the way up, or are you going to give up halfway up, either make your spotter try to catch you or collapse with the weight? It's going to teach you who you are. Um, and, and, you know, our job is to never allow guys to put themselves in a position to get injured with too much weight on their back. But oftentimes when people collapse or, or fail a rep on squat, it's not because they weren't strong enough to stand up with it. It's because they gave up on the rep before. They the mental training, right? What you just explained, it seems a lot harder to accomplish, but if you can accomplish it, the benefits are out of this world. Absolutely. And, and man, like, dude, like, look at the best players in the world at any sport. They're all here. Like, Tom Brady just retired. Do you really think Tom Brady was physically the best quarterback in the country in the NFL for the last 10 years? I know. Was he ever the best quarterback in the country physically? No. Now, I, I, I realize quarterback is a little bit different than a corner, a cornerback or a wide receiver. Like, I get that that's different. I do. But Jerry Rice, I love Jerry Rice. Always played golf at the Mississippi State Golf Course um, back in the day. All right. He ran a, a 4.7740 at the, at the NFL combine or pro day or whatever it was. 4.77. Dude, that's so slow. How was he considered one of the best receivers of all time? He had better reaction time than everybody. It was like six hundredths of a second faster on average than everybody else. He was in better shape than everybody. He ran perfect routes. He beat you with leverage because you never knew what route he was running because he ran with perfect technique and only made moves that were necessary at the last second. Like he ran perfect routes, had great reaction time. Like he was in better, he could be a hundred percent all game and his 100% in the fourth quarter, even though it's been slower than you in the first quarter, now in the fourth quarter, he's faster than you because you're tired. But, but that's all here, bro. Like, focus. Like, your reaction time is all about watching the ball. Like, wide receivers, don't go on the snap count. Move when the ball moves. Wide receivers should never jump off sides. Right? So that's up here. And we were talking, we were talking about with the other guys the other night. Like, again, habit. How are habits formed? Habits are formed. You got a cue, a responsive behavior, uh, and then if you do and you do a repetition, it builds a habit, right? So if I told the guys, if, if you have a cue of, of I'm a I'm a defensive end, right, and it's it's uh, third and ten, it's a pass down. I have a cue that's a pass down, so I'm dialed up to to rush the passer, and they hard count me. I jump off sides. Okay, the cue was, it's it's third and ten. I got to go get the quarterback, right? And if I constantly do that over and over and over and I keep jumping off sides, I'm going to build a habit of doing that. But if I now make that cue, the fact that on third and 10, I get drawn off sides because I'm, I'm trying to get off the ball so fast. Okay, that's my, my cue. What's my responsive behavior now? I've got to be hyper vigilant of watching the ball. Don't listen. Don't do anything. The only thing that matters is that ball. I, I got to like, I got to become um, completely sensory deprivated, right? And the 
only thing that matters in my entire life is that ball. And I'm just like, look at that ball. You gotta look where you're going. You gotta like look out of the corner of your eye. You're like over here. Like you know what I'm talking about the defenseman. He's not. He's like looking straight ahead, but he's looking over at the ball. You gotta be like so locked in, and the only thing that matters is that ball. And the second it moves, and here's the key: you're not gonna slam on the gas to go. You're already on the gas. You've already got the foot on the floor of the car. The motor's going, and you're stop. You're you're stomping on the brake. You're holding the e-brake, and you're just like holding on as tight as you can. As soon as that ball moves, you just let go. That like that's a cue and a responsive behavior that if you do that over and over and over and over, you never jump off sides. You get great jumps. And you get great, you get sacks. Yeah. So, but you see what I'm saying? Like you, you got a cue and a responsive behavior and repetition. So like, what are you repetitioning? Are you repetitioning jumping off sides? Are you repetitioning being hypervigilant of the snap count and watching the ball when it's a, a passing situation? Like that's all mental. So the best players in the game win them. Like uh, Ray Lewis. I love, I can use Ray Lewis again because we're at the U, right? Ray Lewis yes. I, I did an interview and I, look, I, I got Everybody who's watched all of Ray Lewis in interview is going to butcher this, so leave me alone, all right? Ray Lewis did an interview, and they were like, it's year 13, you know, blah, 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 blah. What would you give to go back and have that body of 25-year-old Ray Lewis? And he's like, only if I could take my mind with me. He's like, I get to the ball faster now because I know what play they're running, and I take the right steps first. I get there before, um, I get there before anybody else because I know what's happening before it happens. And so only if I could take my mind with me. You said when, when, when you and Mario first got to Oregon, you had a certain team, but then Mario had a vision for what he wanted the team to look like, bigger, longer. The team just kind of morphed itself over time. What, what kind of team does – would he if he could, like, paint up a perfect team, what does it look like? <sighs> um, Space Jam? Like, if you could take Space Jam and make the, the Monstars – uh, but have the heart and the minds of the Space Jam team. Uh, I mean, no, for real, like recruit them. He, again, he does the same thing I do with staff. Recruit great human beings. Like they're taking a deep dive into these kids. They're, they're recruiting the humans first. Um, basically, to be a part of, 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 a, of a crystal ball team, you have to be a good human that's dedicated to, to being um, a good teammate and, and, and a good representative of your family. Uh, and a good representative of your program, the you never comes off, okay? And so that's where it starts. But at a place like the U, I mean, shoot, we have how many ESPN top 300s are w within 100 miles of this place? Like, it's got to be ridiculous, right? Um, and so if you can find the ones of those guys who are have high moral fiber and the right kind of championship DNA and are great human beings, now you have great athletes, the best of the best. Um, that are also great humans. Uh, and, and I got to give him props. I mean, you talk about a guy that can evaluate talent. He don't recruit stars, I promise you that. It's not three-star, four-star, five-star. Now, not every recruiting site, not everybody who evaluates players is wrong. I mean, some of them are very, very right. You know what I'm saying? But some, I mean, not everybody gets seen. And you were talking about the, the, the underrated guys that he's brought in and just turned into just absolute freaks. Uh, and it's like everyone's surprised but him. And, you know, it's like that's what he, like that's what he does. So, like, uh, you know, you always see when you've got like these top ranked, these top ranked, um, you know, recruiting classes at all these schools. It's like go back in two or three years and see either, hey, how many of them have panned out or A or B, like how many of them have transferred and whatever. And I know there's a lot of things that go into that, but like then go back and look at that other, you know, go back and look at the rest of it. It's like, okay, these two and three-star guys or four-star guys or whatever who have just super far exceeded expectations 
and it's just not a surprise. He, he, I think his, his press conference, he's, I'm all in. I'm all into this program all the time. You've lived it, worked with it, explain it. What does that mean, look like on a daily basis at the U? Well, you know, it's, it's funny. Some co- you'll hear some coaches brag how many hours they work, or how early they got up, or how late they stayed. Like, you won't hear him talk about that. But I don't beat him to work very often, and I'm almost always leave before him. And I work a lot of hours. Um, and it, we we don't we don't believe in guarding a desk. It's, it's the job's done when it's done. Um, I'm on an unending task list right now, so sometimes I just got to go home and sleep. Um, you know, occasionally. And so, uh, but for him, it's like, that's a real thing. Like it's never done. And he's just got to decide like how many hours he has to put in today to feel like he won today. Um, and, you know, his family understands the commitment and, and the future that he's building for them. Um, and it's a huge sacrifice that he makes for this program. Um, but you know what? I've never had to stay late or get up early where I, where I, I, I questioned and said, you know, man, why do I always have to do this? Or, you know, why, why, why do I have to work this many hours? I mean, you, you, you would be completely like blown away by the fact that like this dude outworks everybody in the building uh, and it's not time wasted. I mean, he's got his schedule down to the 10 minute increment. Like, I mean, I'm serious. Like it's, it's that structured and it has to be. Um, you can't just go knock on his door and say, Hey coach, you got a second. Like, no, he doesn't. Like he and I, we get to know each other's schedules and I pop through and I know I can get some things in front of him, but for, but I'm one of the few people that can do that. And it's because I have information that he wants and needs too. So he kind of make and my schedule is crazy as his, well, almost as crazy as his is. So we, we do that little bit of a dance where we try to catch each other in the hallways in between stuff so that we can have uh, quick, quick conversation without having to put something on a schedule. Um, but other than that, like you, you, you got to schedule your time with him because he doesn't have spare minutes. Um, and, and I respect that. Why did you get into this? All of this? Uh, you know, uh, I've really enjoyed helping other people reach their goals. Um, but short, short answer, there's two parts to that. One, I really, really, really have drawn to mentoring and grow and helping people grow and reach their goals. But two, like, I'm just, I'm really good at it. Like, and, and it's like, that's not, I'm not trying to be arrogant. I'm not trying to like, oh, look at me. I'm just like, why would you not pursue something that you're great at? You know? How'd you um, know? And I don't know. That's a great question. You know, actually, it's funny. My wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, um, I was a full-time strength coach at, at UAB. Uh, I was one of the five countable coaches, but I was making like $900 a month or something like that. It was like, it was pitiful. Uh, and there was an opening at another school, and I'm not going to name names because we recruit against them. There's an opening at another school, um, and um, it, I would have had to like leave my full time position as the one of the five guys and go work for free as an intern. And I'm like, nah, I'm not going to do that. As a step down, she's like, Are you crazy? You need to go do that. And I was like, Nah, no. She's like, She's like, Look, you're great at this, but you got to be around other people who are great at this and, and whatever. And so I ended up doing it. I mean, I wouldn't be here if it weren't for that. And so I guess in a way, one of the people that really kind of pointed me towards being good at stuff in this field is, is her, you know, her, her confidence in me and her, you know, pushing me, um, you know, to do that. And so, uh, I mean, that was a big part of it. So I think I know the school and yes, we do recruit against them and probably trying to, 
work our way up to that category, what did you take out of that experience? Like, what did you learn? So you got to go there to be what you, you are good, but you got to learn. So what she, she gave you good advice. What did you get out of it? I learned that strength and conditioning is not all about sets and reps and yards run. I learned that building relationships and helping, helping these guys through the hard times, they all want to be great. They're all physical freaks. They're all elite level athletes. I learned that the lifting and the running is almost less important than the mentoring and the, and the coaching and the, the relationships. You know, the guys on game day, uh, you know, who, who do they want to come high five and, and, um, and, and hug and, and, and get, get hyped with on the sideline um, after they score touchdowns, right? I mean, half the time, I mean, if you're, if you're, if you know your coordinator's up in the box or whatever, you know, like who are you going to hug? Who are you going to high five? I mean, they come after the strength guys, right? Because we're the ones that are with them all day, every day. And it's not that they don't have great relationships with the other coaches. It's just like there's just a it's just an intimacy to, to spending that much time with people all the time that that you can't. It's unmatched. All right, you mentioned earlier Mario people doing things the right way. That's what attracted to you wanting to go work with him when he kind of laid out what he was going to ask you to do. But when you were at this other school that we can't talk about because we don't want to mention it and you saw that Mario got the job, how did you, the story goes, you wanted to be there, you reached out to him and then fill in the blank. And so I, call, I called him, I left him a voicemail. He was getting ready for the, um, for the Las Vegas Bowl at the time. Um, and I never heard anything back. It was like early in the week. So I'm like, it's, it's like seven days or eight days later. It's Christmas day. I'm driving home uh, from Birmingham or driving from Birmingham to, to this other town to, to fly with that team to the college football playoffs. And uh, my phone rings and it's, it's coach Cristobal. And he's like, first, first thing he asked me that this, I've been lying this whole time. I'm telling the truth now. No true story. This really happened. First thing he asked me, dude, what's the deal with that mustache? And I just like, I, I wanted to laugh so hard. We were on speakerphone in my wife's car. And I was like, like, I couldn't believe that that was the first question that he asked me. But it was true, like, he legitimately asked me that first. And we, we talked about it for a second or whatever. And then he got down to business. It's like, hey, is this something you want to do? I was like, yeah. I was like, we're heading out to Pasadena. Uh, I'll be out there by you. Like, he's like, I might swing through. Ended up not, I mean, we talked on the phone all week. Uh, and then, like, I got had to get acclimated to West Coast time. Then we had to fly back and blah 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 blah. Then I flew out to um to, to that uh, I flew out to um where he was to interview. So like I went across the country like six times in the span of like two and a half weeks. It was it was insane. It was insanity. You've been awesome. I appreciate it. It was a pleasure to meet you over this. All right, coach, be good and thank you. All right, bro. Thanks, dude.